0: Right, I'm thankful for the grace of the Lord this morning, and uh, without it we would be condemned and on our way to an eternity in hell. We thank the Lord for His long-suffering, His patience and mercy towards us. It's a wonderful thing. So we go forward this morning thinking about uh, this being Stewardship Month and a time when we kind of come together and we just, in February, really focus on some things about stewardship. We uh, begin this morning just going forward in that thought in stewardship. And so, as we begin this morning and we kind of fix our attention in our text this morning, let a man so account of us as of the ministers of Christ. And by the way, as we look at that and we talk about ministers of Christ in the day and age in which we live, we kind of automatically tune our thought to when we hear the word minister to. Uh, a, a pastoral member of the staff or the pastor or someone that is in uh, some some type of, of a uh, of a leadership role in that mindset but that's really not the point here he's all of us are ministers of Christ every Christian should be a minister of Christ. every Christian should be someone who is ministering the gospel every opportunity the Lord sets in front of us we ought to be seizing we ought to be, uh, looking as we uh, as we move forward in our days and in our lives and so we start here this morning just kind of setting that tone let us uh, let, a, let a man sow account of us as of the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God now God has made us a steward uh, and that means every one of us we're we are a steward as we talked and preached last week about, of our own lives I, I want to be a good steward of the life God. That God has given me. Most people have the attitude that, that I have my life, God gave me life, uh, and it's up to me how I spend it. I made the argument last week that life is not a gift that God has given us to be spent. It is a gift that has been given to us to steward for his glory and for his honor. God did not just give life. He created with that life a very specific agenda and will for that life. And so every life is precious. Every life Uh, is important to God and to His cause. And I realize, you say, well, Pastor, what about the murderer in prison? What about uh, the person that never trusts Christ as Savior? God is not willing that any should perish. Therefore, I must conclude that it was the will of God for every person who's ever been born to trust Jesus Christ as their Savior. And God created that life. God created with that life a will for that life. As that life came to Christ and was developed and discipled in Christ and reached spiritual maturity, it is the will of God for every person to serve Him with all their heart, with all their soul, with all their might. Now, I admit this morning, most people will never even uh, receive Christ as their Savior. In the day and age in which we live, it's more and more difficult, it's increasingly difficult uh, to share the gospel. For one, in our nation, the gospel has been so uh, diluted uh, that and, and, and twisted in many regards that it's it's similar in a lot of aspects, but when you get right down to it, most people mix works in with salvation and make it a part of the process and uh, we understand very clearly biblically that that's just not that just doesn 't work it does not biblically hold up uh, it is a gift from God it is not something that I can work to achieve it is uh, it is simply by god 's grace and god 's mercy that it is put out there to me. And that is displayed. So when we talk about the mysteries of God, we're really talking about three primary things. When we talk about the mysteries of God, and, and th- that's not the the bulk of the message this morning. So I'm not going to get real deep into that. I just want to make sure that we kind of understand the the context here. Uh, the first of those mysteries to me is the cross. The cross of the Lord Jesus Christ is a mystery. How God could take uh, His own Son and put Him on a Roman cross, persecuted, tortured. Uh, and beaten and humiliated, naked, hung with spikes driven through his hands and his feet, and then his side pierced as he uh, as he expired on that cross and gave his life to pay for our sin. How God could love man so much, how Jesus could love his creation so much that he would be willing to suffer the wrath of God and become our sin on calvary's cross is a mystery furthermore it's a mystery to me how you could take blood that is as red as crimson and wash away my sin and make my life white as snow. Uh, You know, it's just that those things uh, are not things that logically make sense. They do not register in the human experience, in the human consciousness. No one here would take a group of strangers and say, I'll sacrifice any of my children, let alone my only child and only son, to pay for something that you've done. That doesn't, that doesn't make sense in man's economy and man's way of thinking, but it is a mystery of God. It is the mystery that God could devise a plan that would cause us to come to a place where my sin could be atoned for, where God could, could maintain His holiness, could maintain His justice, could maintain his righteousness and yet in his grace and mercy reconcile me to himself with my sin, not only forgiven, but fully paid for and could restore me to a state that puts me before the presence of God as if I had never committed an offense against him. That's a mystery. But I know it's true. So, Pastor, how do you know that? Well, the Bible tells me that. I see it borne out in the lives of people. It's one thing to read it in the Bible and to, to see it and make a decision, okay, this is what God said, so I'm going to, by faith, believe it. And in essence, that's what the Christian life is, and that's what we should do. But the Bible also tells us that faith is the evidence of things hoped for, is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. There's evidence to it. Every time we come together on Sunday, I see the evidence of the working of God. I see the evidence of the grace of God. I see lives that... that, that have been changed and transformed by the power of God and as, difficult it is for me to wrap my mind around how God could make atonement for my sin and do all of that that I've described for me, it is equally difficult for me to understand how God could take someone uh, who was a drunkard or someone who was a drug addict or someone who was, a, uh, was abusive and someone that, uh, that was, uh, uh, that was uh, obnoxious, someone that was cruel and, uh, and hateful and completely transform their life into something new. That's an amazing thing. That's a mysterious thing. Uh, But I trust that God and I believe the word of God, not simply because I read it and I know that I should, but because every time I get around God's people, I see the evidence of it. I see the evidence of the working of the Holy Spirit in lives. I see the evidence of the Holy Spirit working in my own heart and life and the lives of those that I come in contact with and within my family. The next thing about the mystery of God is that, that, that he speaks to is the church, particularly that the church is blended. There's so much emphasis in uh, God made Abraham his people and the Israelites are his, his, his chosen people, and, uh, and even today, the things that... God has promised to Abraham will come to fruition. What has not yet happened will happen. You can rest assured, and I firmly believe that uh, that the things that God has said uh, about those that would be abusive or would curse Israel would be cursed by God. Uh, and those that would bless them would be blessed by God. I think those things are, are, are principles and set forth in the Word of God that uh, that are true unto this day. They are not gone. There's no. Res- they've never been rescinded. God never took them back, and uh, and that's important to uh, to understand those things as we look at Scripture. And then how God brought the Gentiles in in the New Testament, and how God used the Apostle Paul to go out, and the gospel was not just for the Israelites and to the Jew, but it was to all of creation. And God brought us together not as a Jewish church and not as a Gentile church, but as one church before Him. Uh, We are uh, believers in Christ Jesus. We are partakers and fellow heirs with Christ in glory. And uh, what a wonderful thing the church is, but the church is a mystery. We always talk about the second coming, the mysteries of God. We've been put in trust or we have been made stewards and let a man so account of us as the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. That is a steward of the mystery of God. We are stewards of the second coming of Christ. He is coming again and we are to live uh, occupying until he comes looking for his return, living as if that return is imminent and it is. Uh, And that should be borne out and reflected in our life. And so uh, those when we talk about this mysteries of God and then he says in verse two, moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. How can I take care of that which God has entrusted to my care if I'm not faithful? How can I maintain and care for the ministry that God has given my life, uh, not as a pastor, but as a child of God, as a human being, if you really want to take it all the way back, because God's desire is for everyone to be saved that we have been placed in trust with that gospel. And so we see here that we are required of God to be faithful stewards of his mysteries, which requires us in turn to become great stewards of our lives. It is required a man that, it, uh, that he may be found faithful, that a, and stewards that a man be found faithful. And we must be Faithful in our time. What are we to steward in our lives? We are to steward our time. Life is time. No matter how you shake it, no matter how you try to describe it, life is time. You you cannot get it back. You cannot relive yesterday. You cannot take a word back that's been said. Uh, I cannot go back and undo anything that's done. I can try to repair things that I've broken, uh, but I cannot take away that which has been done. Once life has been lived, either spent or stewarded, it's gone for eternity. So if I'm going to be a good, faithful steward, I must steward my time. God has also given everyone in this room abilities. And those abilities are different than from one person to the next. But God has given everyone some measure of ability. Maybe, uh, maybe your talents have to do uh, with interaction with other people. Maybe they have to do with organization. Maybe they have to do uh, with the specific things that you uh, just enjoy. Maybe they're mechanical in nature. Maybe they're, uh, they're the, just whatever you want to label it as. But the reality is every one of us have gifts and abilities. Those are gifts from God. Those are things that God has instilled in us as a, uh, as a human being to use for his glory. And I must be a good steward, not only of my time, but also of my talent. And, uh, and equally so, I must become a good steward of my treasure. And we've all heard that. We've all heard that preached in stewardship campaigns and sermons. And I uh, truly don't preach often enough about our financial obligations, not to the church, but to the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, but today we're going to kind of focus in on that aspect. Last week we kind of took and looked at our lives. This week uh, we are going to uh, examine the uh, being stewards of, our, uh, of that treasure. And we talk about all of that as the work of God. And we are to be stewards of his work. Now I want to <coughs> make a statement because I'm going I'm to draw some conclusions this morning that you need to understand this principle in order to get where I'm coming from and how I'm getting here. When I was in the Marine Corps, Uh, They spent a lot of time drilling into us the idea of orders and anybody that's been in the military, no matter what branch it is, or uh, even if you are someone that is in uh, law enforcement or firefighting, those types of things or military type structures, uh, you understand the concept of orders. Now, there are different types of orders. There are regulation manuals in which the, the orders of uh, and the, the basically the, uh, the law of what governs you is laid out. And we have the Constitution as civilians. We have uh, the, the government uh, that's over us. But in the military, there's what's called the Uniform Code, Uniform Code of Military Justice. And we refer to it as UCMJ. Most people that have been in service fully understand various aspects of that. Uh, and so uh, those, are, those could be said those are orders. Now those are, they cover everyone, they cover all kinds of circumstances, there's no real way that any one person in the military could understand and grasp everything that's written in the UCMJ any more than we could could grasp the laws of our state, let alone our nation. There are a lot of things out there uh, that we violate, that we're guilty of, that we have no clue even exist. We're still responsible, however. And so that's one aspect of an order. Another aspect is, is that whenever, uh, is is general orders, there are uh, general orders and you have to memorize those whenever you're, when you're very early in your days of service and, uh, and related to your guard posts and all of those types of things. And uh, I don't remember all of them. I can recite some of them and, uh, and, but. At that point in time, if you were uh, a young private or private first class or Lance Corporal in the Marine Corps and you were walking a post, you better know your general orders. And you probably, when the Corporal of the Guard, the Sergeant of the Guard, and the Officer of the Day rolled around, especially when it was 2 or 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning, there was a pretty good chance that uh, whenever he came and inspected your post and you snapped to and presented arms and greeted him after you challenged him, that you were going to get questions about, Uh, Some general orders just to make sure, especially if you were young and new to the post, they want to know if you know what your responsibilities are. And then there were what we called uh, uh, just your, your standard standing orders. Now, a standing order, I think, is very important for us to understand if we're to properly interpret biblical principle, because the principle of a standing order, in my mind, is seen all throughout the scripture. A standing order is this. The commanding officer comes in, whether it be of a company or whether it be of a battalion, a regiment, a division, a base, uh, what have you, and he gives an order that does not have an expiration date published, then that would be considered a standing order. In other words, this order is in force until such a time that a new order by someone that is of equal billet and rank or exceeds that billet and rank issues a new order that countermands it say pastor why is that so important because there are a lot of things that god gives us principally in the bible especially in the old testament that he may or may not reaffirm in the new testament my argument is this if god did not rescind it in the new testament then it's still effect in in the new testament and so, for example, I'll give you an idea of what we're talking. We're going to get to this because I think that this applies to the concept of our giving. Uh, but, but God uh, has, I've had, we used to have a neighbor when we lived in Arkansas, we had, and I don't think that Sonia ever even met them. Our driveway was really long. We were kind of tucked way back in the woods and I was out one day and they had an animal that got out and I got it and I took it back to them. I knew where it was from and, uh, and they were, they called themselves Messianic Christians and so uh, they were kind of grilling me about, oh, you're a pastor of a Baptist church here in town, and we were having this discussion, and they were like, well, what do you do about commandment number four? Remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. They worshiped on Saturday. They were Messianic Christians. They believed that Jesus Christ was the Messiah, but they, they, but they uh, believed that worship should still be done on uh, on Saturday. What Do you know that every... Commandment of the Ten Commandments, except commandment number four, is reaffirmed by the Lord in the New Testament. But that command is also changed by the Lord in the New Testament. When He told us to bring our tithes and offerings on the first day of the week, lay them in store on the first day of the week, the practice of the early church to come together on the first day of the week, it was a standing order that was nine of which were reaffirmed in the New Testament and one of which was countermanded in the New Testament. Now, there is no, and the reason this is important is this, in this concept, there is no biblical command in the New Testament for you and I to tithe 10%. You can't find it in the New Testament. What you find is the concept of giving by grace. Now, the day and age in which we live, people take the thought of grace and they equate grace to, I don't have to do the burdensome lifting of the law. I'm free. But the reality is, is that when the Lord Jesus Christ has my heart and I am truly a faithful steward, that I will always exceed what God's expectations are. And what you see by example of the New Testament church and the early church is not people ever doing less, but people doing more. I would go so far as to argue that the the command to give and furthermore, the example to give, which we'll see in a moment, tithing to the Lord 10% started way before there was ever a command to do so. And kind of people that kind of have this mentality that as a New Testament Christian, I have no financial responsibility to God or you can't put a percentage on it, uh, have lost sight of the fact that God established the principle in the book of Genesis long before he ever made an issue to command in Exodus. I cannot kind of twist and I can't get my mind away and I've kind of studied this out and tried to, I've tried to get there. I've, I've tried to uh, get to that spot where I could say, okay, I don't have to give at least this much, but I just can't in good conscience as a Christian in the New Testament age get there. Because in my mind, God gave me a standing order. Not only did He give a standing order which He has not rescinded, He, more importantly, gave me an example and set a precedent that was followed for generations well before a command was ever issued and there's nothing in the new testament that would lead me to believe that i am not only obligated to give that tithe but i am also expected and if i want god's blessing required to give a gift on top of it now that gift there is no there is no framework for that there's no specificity to that it's just out there now So with that principle of a standing order, we're going to look at several things this morning. And you can disagree with me if you want to, but I'm just telling you, as I look at the Bible in good conscience, I cannot divorce myself in the New Testament age from the obligation that I have to give the Lord 10% plus, not, oh, this is the age of grace, so I can do less if I want to. And so uh, there's a standing order and a precedent of example. Now, the biblical example of tithing begins in Genesis chapter 14. And in Genesis chapter 14 and verse 18, it says in Melchizedek, the king of Salem brought forth bread and wine, and he was the priest of the most high God. And then in Hebrews chapter number seven, referring to that same incident, and it just, just gives a little bit more detail here, uh, and. The first 10 verses says, For this Melchizedek, the king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being by interpretation king of righteousness, was after that also king of Salem, which is king of peace. Now, the, the Melchizedek is considered to be a type of Christ. He is a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ uh, to us. And, uh, and Abraham makes this offering after he's won battles and defeated kings to get Lot's freedom back after he was taken captive. Without father, without mother, without descent, verse number 3, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like unto the Son of God, abideth a priest continually. Again, a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now consider how great this man was, unto whom even the patriarch Abraham gave the tenth of the spoils, and barely they that are of the sons of Levi, who receive of the office of the priesthood, have a commandment to take tithes of the people according to the law that is of their brethren, though they come out of the loins of Abraham. But he who was, whose descent is not counted from them received tithes of Abraham and blessed him that had the promises." And without all the contradiction of the less, uh, the less is blessed of the better. And here, men that die receive tithes, but there he receiveth them of whom it was witness that he liveth. And as I may so say, Levi also who receiveth tithes paid tithes in Abraham, for he was yet in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. Now, there's another issue I'll address here. I've had uh, known of pastors in the past that would say, I'm, "I'm I'm the pastor of the church. I'm a Levite, so therefore I'm not required." To tithe. And I've known pastors for decades that believe that. And I think uh, I, that first I'm a Christian and first I'm a member of the church. And uh, I have that responsibility. And even if I felt uh, that the Bible gave me some latitude there, when I get to here, I can't maintain that belief. Because he says here that even the Levite, Levi also who received tithes paid tithes in Abraham. And so the example again is that everyone should be honoring the Lord with at least minimum 10% of, of their increase. Now, I believe this as well. I believe that these types of principles, like the principle of God saying that he who blesses Israel, I will bless, and he who curses Israel, I will curse. He's never rescinded that in the New Testament. That is a standing order, a standing principle. I believe this is like unto that. If I... I'm a lost person who does not know the Lord Jesus Christ, but I have been taught uh, to give the Lord a tenth part of my income. I believe that God will bless that individual because he's doing and following a command and an example that God has set forth biblically, and it's it's challenge. And God even tells us to challenge Him in that point, and we'll get to that in a little bit. Now. So we continue to look at this biblical example of tithing. It didn't stop with Abraham. It wasn't like one patriarch did it and then uh, it just went away. Uh, We see in, in Genesis chapter 28 and verse number 22, in Jacob, and this stone which I have set for a pillar shall be God's house, and of all that thou shalt give me I will surely give the tenth unto thee. Now again, I'm not saying this morning that God in the New Testament has laid this command on us. I'm saying that God set forth an example in the Old Testament before a command ever existed. And nowhere in the Bible can I find where he said this no longer applies. So when grace comes on the scene, I have to make an assumption that God has done away with things that he set precedent for in the Old Testament. This is not a ceremonial part of the law. The ceremonial part of the law was fulfilled. This was established, and God set this precedent far, be, long before there was a ceremonial law. Now, in these biblical examples that we've seen, also consider that there is a biblical example of an offering in Exodus chapter 25 and verses 1 through, 10, through 9. And we'll have time this morning to go there and look at all those verses. We've still got a lot to get through here this morning. But essentially, uh, Moses is, is going to the people and saying, there is uh, there is a... Uh, a need in the tabernacle god wants a tabernacle built uh and so guys if those things are just flickering just shut them off um then then there, all of these things are going on uh then then god said then receive an offering now an offering is not part of the tithe an offering is over and above and so god says okay there is the the, the precedent of and in this case and by exodus there is the command, uh, but he's saying there are needs in God's house and in, in God's structure in the tabernacle. And so we have these things that God's given us to do. So let's receive an offering. The offering was a free will offering. If they, they could give or not, they, uh, how much they were to give varied from family to family. That was completely between them and the Lord, uh, but they brought an offering. And so that took care of and met and, and, and the, the needs of building the structure. Now, The tithe belongs to the Lord. In Leviticus chapter 27 uh, and verses 30 and verse number 32, uh, the Bible tells us there that it belongs to the Lord. And all the tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the trees is the Lord's. It is holy unto Lord. The Lord, and concerning the tithe of the herd or the flock, even the whosoever passes under the rod, the tenth shall be holy unto the Lord. And again, I, I don't ever find anything that not least not, and I could be mistaken, but I can't nothing comes to mind, nor have I found when I've looked, something that God says is holy that he ever decided later on was not, was no longer holy. Unless it was defiled, it was holy. And so God says this is something that belongs to me, it's something that is holy. And it's never rescinded. The tithe belongs to God. The tithe is commanded by God. in Deuteronomy chapter 14 and verses 22 and verse 23. Thou shalt truly tithe all the increase of thy seed that the field bringeth forth year by year. And thou shalt eat before the Lord thy God in the palace, or excuse me, in the place where he shall choose to place his name there. The tithe of thy corn, of thy wine, and of thine oil, and the firstlings of thy herds, and thy flocks, that thou mayest learn to fear the Lord Thy God always. So now, what is the real motivation of God in bringing in the tithe? Well, I think you find it and you see it right here. That in giving and bringing my offering, my tithe and my offering to the Lord and giving it, in the New Testament, giving it cheerfully, then what I am doing is I am keeping my worship of God in the forefront of my mind and the practice of my life. God is forever and always acknowledged. One of the great things in the busyness of life is that we get so busy and wrapped up in life that we, uh, it's easy to just forget, to stop on a casual or a busy day and say, I want to acknowledge God. I want to express my gratitude to God. So when I come on the first day of the week and I lay in store my tithe, my offering to the Lord, then what I am doing is I am honoring and worshiping God. I am keeping God in the forefront of my life and of my thought. Uh, and, And he lays it out there, that thou mayest learn to fear the Lord thy God always. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. It is the beginning of wisdom. And so in following this precedent and in following this example that was given well before a law was ever written, God is saying this will help you remember to keep me always first to love me with all of your heart now and so we see there's a biblical example there is the 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 example of tithing the example of an offering uh then the tithe belongs to god then the tithe is commanded by god uh, and then the tithe provides for the work of god in numbers chapter 18 uh and Verses 21 through 28, and again in Nehemiah chapter 10 and verses 37 and 38, uh, what we see is that God's work was provided for. Nehemiah 10, 37 and 38 says, And that we should bring forth the first fruits of our dough and our offerings. Dough as in not our money, but as in their bread dough. Uh, and so, uh, and our offerings and the fruit of all manner of trees and of wine and of oil unto the priests, the chambers of the house of our God, and the tithes of our ground unto the Levites, that the same Levites might have the tithes in all cities of our tillage. And the priest, uh, the son of Aaron, shall be with the Levites when the Levites take tithes, and the Levites shall bring up the tithe of the tithes into the house of our God, to the chambers, into the treasure house. And so God gives us the example where it is to provide for the work of God and those who labor on his behalf. It is It provides for God's work. Now, We saw that also in Hebrews chapter seven and verses five through eight in the 10 verses that we read there. Uh, And so consider those things uh, as we move along this morning. And so we see this standing order. Now, three thoughts about uh, giving to the Lord, tithing to the Lord this morning. Number one, the tithe is God's property. See, we view it as this is mine. I'm going to give 10% of it to God. But the reality is the Bible tells us very clearly the tithe is the Lord's. It doesn't belong to me to begin with. Now, as a pastor, this is the age of grace, and I, I understand. But the same people that, that make that argument that truly love the Lord would be very quick to acknowledge that I belong to God. That every part of me belongs to God. So why the inconsistency when it comes to giving? If all of me belongs to God, then all that I have belongs to God as well. And so when I make in my own heart and my own mind and I'm trying to be pleasing and honoring to the Lord that I have to come to the acknowledgement that if, if, if I belong to God and my children belong to God and my house belongs to God and my car belongs to God that everything else in my life belongs to God too including my bank account. It's not mine, it's His. My life is not mine. I've been bought with a price. And so we have to keep consistent in our analyzing and, and applying things to our life. The tithe is God's property. Malachi chapter 3 uh, and verses 8 and 9, the Bible says very plainly, Will a man rob God, yet ye have robbed me? But ye say, Wherein have we robbed thee in tithes and offerings? Ye are cursed with a curse, for ye have robbed me, even this whole nation. Now, there are, there are several questions, and I think five, if, I, if memory serves, in Malachi that kind of lays out there, Uh, Things that God's expectations are, and where God confronts uh, His people as the Old Testament comes to a close. What I'm saying and making the point, and God I believe is reinforcing the point here is that it belongs to Him. But it's not that God wants your money. God doesn't want my money or your money. God wants my life. God wants my heart. God wants me to give everything that I am to Him—a living sacrifice. So the tithe is God's property, and as is, is easy as it is for me and most Christians to say, yes, I belong to the Lord, we cannot segregate other areas of our life and say, I belong to God, but this doesn't. I either belong to God or I don't. The reality is, is that whether I think I do or not, I belong to God. Whether I acknowledge that and live my life accordingly or not is something else. Three thoughts about this, just very quickly this morning. Number one, God has entrusted us with his property. God has entrusted us with his property. In Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 16, he tells us redeeming the time. We are to redeem the time. Why? Because the days are evil. And so my time is his. I need to redeem that time. In Colossians chapter 4 and verse number 5, he tells me to walk in wisdom toward them that that are without redeeming the time. So I want to walk wisely in the fear of the Lord, uh, redeeming the time. I have been put in trust with his property, my life, his gospel. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 4, which you, uh, that you hear frequently here. But as we were allowed of God, it is a privilege, it is an honor. But as we are allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak not as pleasing men, but God. God's put the gospel in our trust. Secondly, not only has God entrusted us with his property, but my willingness to give God his tithe is a reflection of my willingness to give him every other area of my life. I can't pick and choose. Okay, God, uh, I'm going to give you what's easy. And I'm going to trust you when it's easy, but I'm not going to trust you. Because here's what comes down to, Pastor, I can't afford to tithe. Now, people that are mature Christians that have put God to the test over the years and that have just said, no, I'm going to do what God told me to do no matter what, uh, would always come back. I used to love Brother Tuffy in this regard. Brother Tuffy, he couldn't even say it without weeping uh, uh, about how uh, that first dollar, and and he he would get into the best that he could still get it out and talk about how all those years ago he made a decision he was going to do that. And then he would weep as he would try to tell you how God blessed him over the years because of it. And so when we look and we consider the the principle here, what God is saying to us is is that we willingly should give this area to God. Hey, listen, it's easy to trust God whenever everything's going great. It's hard to trust God when things are hard. It's a lot easier to sing God's praises and to trust him when you're healthy than it is when you're sick. It's a lot easier to do the right thing and to do what God's given us and laid out for us to do uh, whenever we know how all the bills are going to get paid, but it's, it's when God blesses the most is when we do what's right when we don't know how. And so God lays this out here for us. My willingness to give to God is, is a reflection of my willingness to give him every other area of my life. What he really wants is my heart. If he has my heart, the rest of it's easy. The reason that all these other areas of the Christian life become difficult is because God doesn't really truly have our heart. Once he has my heart, he has it all. Once he has my heart, uh, everything is is set and falls in place. And so so, uh, my willingness to give to God is a reflection of what I've given to God in my heart. Uh, Third, I would say that it is essential to a blessed or a cursed life. Uh, If I want God's blessing, I have to do what God says. God said specifically uh, in Malachi, uh, to bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house, and prove me, put me to the test now. Herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, and there shall not be room enough to receive it. If I want to be blessed by God, this is one area where God says, put me to the test. Put me to the test. Now, I believe this. I believe that you ought to do what God puts in your heart to do. I don't believe that we ought to tempt God, that we ought to just say, okay, God, I'm just going uh, to give you everything i got. I'm not going to be able to pay a bill for a year. You do what God tells you to do. And that's what gets missed a lot of times in the New Testament age is that uh, preachers get up and preach these principles or get greedy, and, uh, and they're just like, oh, if you'll do this, then God will give you. I'm not going to promise you that, what God's going to do i promise you this, if you do what God puts in your heart to do, and you're obedient in that regard, no matter whether it makes sense financially or not, then God will bless you. Don't just do it because pastor preached the message, or don't just do it because somebody put some pressure. Don't just, I would even say this, uh, don't do it just because there's a need. Do it because God told you to do it. Do it because God gave you a burden for it. And when I'm obedient to the Lord in that regard, then God will turn around and will bless me for my obedience. And so first we see this morning that the tithe is God's property. It doesn't belong to me to begin with. I'm not paying a bill when I, and he, and listen, the Bible tells us to bring our tithes to the storehouse. I don't like it when I have a conversation with people and their attitude is, and I have to guard myself to make sure I don't fall into the same trap. I've got to pay my tithe. You don't pay your tithe, you bring your tithe. Tithe is not a bill to be paid, it is an, it is an, it is an expression of love and obedience to our, the God whom we serve. It is part of the worship experience. We worship God with our tithes and our offerings, and we've seen that some a little bit this morning. Now, secondly, I would say this, that it's God's provision. It is God's provision. It is first God's property, secondly, it's God's provision. It is God's provision for the house of God. Now, sometimes people don't like calling the church the house of God, and, and I realize that the uh, the tabernacle and the temple, it's not in the same sense the tabernacle and the temple were, but it is a place where we come to worship the Lord. It belongs to Him. It doesn't belong to any one of us. It doesn't belong to the pastor. It doesn't belong to the deacons. It doesn't belong uh, to the charter members. Uh, if we were to have to dissolve as a church, then it would be uh, sold and, and given to our missionaries, I believe, our bylaw state, but no one here would profit or benefit from that. Uh, and so, because why? Because it's not ours. It's God's. Now, having said that, this building, this structure is not the church. We are the church. A church is people, not facility. If we could lose a facility tonight uh, and we would still have a church. We, we might have to scramble around and figure out what we're going to do for a meeting place for a while. Uh, but, uh, but, but the church is not lost. But still, I don't find it inappropriate or offensive, at least not to me, to refer to uh, the church structure as God's house because truly it was, it was built with God's money for the purpose of worshiping and serving God uh, together as a church family. And so he lays out here that the house of, uh, the ha- it is for the house of God. Exodus chapter 25, verses 1 through 9. Again, in Nehemiah chapter 10, verses 37 through 38. It is for the men of God. A lot of people today don't like that term because it's been so abused over the years that the the man of God. But listen, there is some truth to the concept of God's men, the man of God. Uh, he's not an all-powerful being like God. He doesn't have the right to come in and to police and uh, and overtake and lord over you. Uh, God's will for your life—that's not God's plan for His servants and His men uh, to fulfill. But uh, but there is some authority bestowed upon your spiritual leadership that God has given and God has called. And it is an unwise practice to live your Christian life without ever uh, getting any advice from your God-given spiritual leadership. And so sometimes we see things abused and then we so overcorrect things that we end up in the ditch on the other side of the road. It is to care for the men of God. The Levites in Numbers chapter 18, verses 21 through 28, and many other passages of Scripture, it's all laid out there. The Bible tells us the servant's worthy of his hire and I appreciate uh, the way that the church takes care of me and my wife, our family. It's a blessing uh, to, to serve here and it's really and truly, uh, it's and I think my wife would say amen to this. Uh, it's it's really the only ministry we've been a part of that that we've been cared for in such a way, where where our needs have been met in such a way, where it's been a point of concern. Hey, uh, pastor, are your needs being met? Do you have things that you need? Or are you? Uh, are, are, and so that's a blessing. Our church has been a blessing in that way, but that's part of the process. That's why God gives us. This structure uh, and organization is so that God's servants are met. It is for the work of God, Philippians chapter 4. And verse 16 says, For even in Thessalonica ye sent once again unto my necessity, the apostle Paul said. Uh, And in Romans chapter 12 and verse 13, he said, Distributing to the necessity of the saints... Given to hospitality, we are to uh, to care for the work of the ministry. It is for the work of God. First Corinthians chapter sixteen and verse one. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given order uh, to the churches of Galatia, even so do ye. By the way, it was Paul, a man, who gave the order, as he was instructed and led by God. The tithe is God's provision. The tithe is God's property, and lastly, the tithe is God's partnership. The tithe is God's partnership. Malachi chapter 3 and verses 10 through 12, we've already read that. We'll not read it again. But he says, bring your tithes into the storehouse. Why? Well, first of all, it brings God's blessings. He said, try me and see if I won't open the windows of heaven to you. Being faithful in this area of my Christian life invites the blessing of God. Not only that, it brings God's protection. Anytime that we are in obedience to God, then we are under the umbrella of God's protection. I cannot pick and choose what areas of God's will and God's leading I will obey. I must obey them all. Then I would say that it is an investment in eternity. It is an investment in eternity. What we bring here, what we, uh, what we give in, in, to honor and show our love to, the, to God and his working in our life, it is an investment in eternity. Everything that's been done here every piece of tile that's been purchased and laid, every uh, piece of sheetrock that's hung on the wall, every light bulb that gets changed, every, uh, everything that, that we do that upgrades, every uh, penny that's spent as an investment in eternity. It is here for the reaching of the lost. It is here for the encouragement of the saint. It is here for the challenging of our soul. It is here uh, for bringing to light uh, what God wants done in our life. It is a partnership with God. God, as you have given me life, I want to partner with you to reach your objectives for humanity. You gave me life. You, put a, you gave me a will that is specifically designed to my life. You have provided my needs. You have done all of these things for me. I don't want to just be a taker. I want to be in partnership with God to the furtherance of the gospel. I would say this, obedience To the principle is better than obedience to the command. Because when I'm obedient to the principle, I live by the spirit of what God has commanded and I have joy. But when I do things because it's demanded, it is a burden. That's why he says that the Lord loves a cheerful giver. Someone that gives their heart to the Lord. Someone that gives... In First Corinthians chapter nine and verse seven, he tells us that the Lord loves a cheerful giver. There are a couple of men that were prominent in history that uh, that believed and lived this uh, this principle. <clears throat> One famous man, uh, John D. Rockefeller Sr., said this. He said, "Yes, I tithe, and I would like to tell you how it all came about. I began work as a small boy to help support my mother. My first wages amounted to a dollar and fifty cents a week." And the first week after I went to work, I took the $1.50 home to my mother, and she held the money in her lap, and she explained to me that she would be happy if I would give a tenth to the Lord. I did. And from that week until this day, I've tied every dollar that God has entrusted to me. Notice the attitude. Not that God has given to me. And that's part of the problem even politically today. Even Social Security things are kind of flipping all the verbiage around. Now it's a benefit. It's not a benefit. You paid for it. Welfare is a benefit. Social security is not a benefit. It's paid for. It's supposed to be in a trust. It's an attitude. It's a mindset. Notice the mindset of Mister Rockefeller. I have tied every dollar God has entrusted to me. God doesn't give us anything other than salvation. Everything else is entrusted to our care. To be a good steward of. And I want to say, if he went on to say, if I had not tied the first dollar I made, I would have not would not have tithed the first million dollars that I made. Tell your readers to train their children to tithe, and they will grow up to be faithful stewards of the Lord. It's a different mindset in old generations that have passed away. There was a lad 16 years of age. He was named William. He left home, set out to seek his fortune, because there was nothing at home for him. All the possessions that he owned, he could hold in the bag in one hand. So he took his bag and he went down and he met an old canal boat captain. And he told them that his father was too poor to keep him, and so he had to go so it wouldn't be a burden to the family. And the only thing that he knew trade-wise was soap making and candle making. The old man knelt down, the old captain of the canal boat, and prayed earnestly for the boy, and then he advised him this. He said, someone will soon be the leading soap maker in New York. It can be you as well as someone else. Be a good man. Give your heart to Christ. Pay the Lord all that belongs to him, make an honest soap, give a full pound, and I'm certain you'll be a prosperous and a rich man. Young man went into the city and remembered the captain's words. He was poor, he was lonely, but he united with the church, and the first dollar that he earned, he presented a tenth of it to the Lord. Ten cents of every dollar was sacred. Having regular employment, he soon became a partner and then later the sole owner of the business. He made an honest soap and he gave a full pound and then he eventually instructed his bookkeeper to open an account with the Lord to give one-tenth of all their income. And as the business grew, he began to give two-tenths, then three, then five, then all. The young man's name was William Colgate who gave millions to the Lord's work. What I'm saying this morning is that as a pastor, I cannot stand up here this morning and say, You give your X number of percentage because in the New Testament chapter and verse it says this, because it doesn't. But there's a principle that God gave us in His Word. There is an example that God gave us before He ever gave a law. And nowhere has it been rescinded. What is my obligation? as a Christian for many years and a pastor for many years I would say that my decision and my wife's and our experience has been be faithful to the Lord and the Lord will be faithful to you in this regard I believe this, I believe truly that it's a little bit misspoken because the Lord's always faithful whether I am or not but in this realm we have we have not always had what we have now we have not always had, and we've, we've lived at times in substandard conditions. We've, we've sometimes wrote our check and put it in the offering plate not knowing where the meals were going to come for for the next week. Obviously, I haven't gone hungry. God has blessed us immensely. And I'm saying to you this morning, follow the principles of God's word. Stop worrying so much. Is this is this commanded here? Is it commanded for us in this age? It, it's, for one, I believe it is by standing order and exceeded. Truly, I don't believe that I can be compliant with God's desire for my life until I have given 10% plus. Because that's the reality of what grace is and does. Grace is not an excuse to go out and live how I want without consequence. Grace is the freedom to carry out the responsibilities that God has given me for His glory and for His honor. I embrace the idea of grace. It found me, it, it, God's grace saved my soul. His mercy has bestowed much blessing upon me. It's not an excuse to just do whatever, it is the freedom to fulfill the responsibilities that God has given me. I want to be faithful in every area of my life. God, I'm yours. And I I can't separate and say, okay, I'm yours, but she's not. I'm yours, but they're not. I'm yours, but my truck is not. I'm yours, but my house is not. I'm yours, but my bank account is not. I'm either yours or I'm not. I'm either all of me belongs to him and he has me all or he has of me. When we understand the concept of faithful stewardship of the mysteries of God, of the cross of Christ, of the church, of his second coming, then I can never fulfill my responsibilities until my life becomes that living sacrifice that he demanded in Romans chapter 12. Will I give it? Will I recognize who it belongs to? Will I recognize who I belong to? Will I honor and be obedient to him as I live my life? Heavenly Fathers, we close this morning. Lord, it's always difficult to preach on this subject. Lord, I pray that you would help our hearts to be open to the principles of your word. Lord, so often we're asking the questions, what do I have to do? rather than asking the question, what should I do? Lord, I pray that you'd help us to have the spirit and a heart that wants to please and honor you in everything that we do. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to be compliant, obedient, to live in the freedom, the grace that you've given, understanding that that means that when our heart's truly yours, there's nothing that we have that we will withhold from you. Lord, help us to express that, Lord, work in our hearts now. We pray. In Jesus' name and amen. We just stand together, heads are bowed, and eyes are amen. closed. She begins-